I, I every time you talk about a new topic, you have like just like something to say. And it's just <laughs> it, it, it's it's stunning. My I, I like to think I like to think my 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 brain is um really strong, but on all of the stuff that's not supposed to make it strong. So it's like a ton of trivia, but nothing healthy. You know, it's it's, it's like the my episode diet. Of... It's like I'm I have all the stuff I need, all the vitamins and proteins to go about my day, but they're coming from the wrong places. It's like a, a boxer who instead of training was coked up before a fight, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he just he took a lot of Adderall. Yeah, something <laughs> you know, it works, but it's not how you're supposed to get there. <laughs> yeah. Why punch meat when you can take sporkles, right? What? Like like a boxer. Boxers punch meat. What's sporkle? Rocky. What's sporkle? Oh, you don't know what sporkle is? No. Oh, dude, you would love sporkle. We're, we'll have to talk about sporkle. Wait, is that a this. cocaine reference? No, oh. no, no. Sporkle is sporkle is a quiz website. Oh, <laughs> oh, I know that. Not the. It's not the street thought, name. For... I thought you knew some like really deep street name for drugs. And, and they would call sporkle would be the credibility. The, the the name that gives the drug credibility. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought. Welcome to the Cinema <laughs> Chain Gang podcast. Here, Nick Ricardo, Andrew J. We are continuing our chain. Oh, oh boy, I, I don't even have a transition for that. I think we just gotta go. <laughs> right. <laughs> we are on part two of two of our second chain. This is episode number four. If you joined us for the last episode, we are connecting Meg Ryan to Vigo Mortensen through the link of Steve Zahn in the middle. Um, we reviewed You've Got Mail last episode, 1998 rom-com starring her and Tom Hanks. You can listen to that episode. And now we complete the chain with uh, Vigo Mortensen, who we talked about a lot last episode. Of course, best known for playing Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, uh, Green Book, Hidalgo. I, I always come up with Hidalgo. I say that's the third straight week I've <laughs> talked about Hidalgo, I think. Even though also also famous from your Halloween costume. Also famous for me dressing up as Aragorn. Yeah, which I also think I've said three straight weeks yep. now. Uh, <laughs> but we are watching Crimson Tide today, uh, which he has a co-starring role in 1995 Tony Scott movie uh, starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. Steve Zahn also in it. Uh, the late great James Gandolfini pre Sopranos plays a pretty significant supporting role. Ryan Phillippe is in it in a very, very, very minor role. Um, basically, it is a... Can I throw two I more people in there and also um, one of them confirm with you? Uh, sure. Ed Harris, is that him in the movie? Ed Harris is not in the film. What? Okay, then I'm going to erase this note I have that said early Ed Harris role. <laughs> early Ed Harris role? Right, 1995? Young Ed, younger Ed Harris. What, who did you think he was playing? Um, the guy, uh, the guy with short hair. Who's the military guy with short hair? <laughs> it really narrows it down. Thanks. All um, right, you can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but as a directed by Tony Scott, who is best known for Top Gun and True Romance and the Taking of Pelham One Two Three remake, Unstoppable. Of course, he has passed away. Um, he tragically, I believe, committed suicide in 2010, 2012. Um. He is known by a lot of people as like the good Michael Bay. His movies have a lot of the same stylistic choices, a lot of the over the top camera movement, big sweeping scores, a um, lot of like military focused stories. Um, 
slash like people in law enforcement focused stories. They're very extreme movies. And obviously that tone is felt here also partially because this movie is produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who eventually would do the Pirates of the Caribbean movies um, among like his many producing credits. He also produced a lot of Michael Bay's movies like Bad Boys and Nash, uh, not implying that National Treasure is one of Michael Bay's movies, but he also produced National Treasure. You've got Armageddon. You've got Pearl Harbor. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he was involved with a lot of action movies in the mid 90s to late 2000s. Yeah, I I felt I, I mean, I don't watch a lot of action movies and I also don't watch a lot of movies from around this time. I feel like kind of or uh, at least not kind of nostalgia movies, um, anything from the late 90s, early 2000s and seeing the Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, production uh, vanity card at the beginning uh, kind of just like blew my mind because I, I realized I have not thought about him in a long time. And he was like, I mean, he was like the first producer that I was aware of. And it got me wondering, like, what he's doing now and also just completely in a good way kind of like dated the movie for me. It's a pretty sick logo too. his company. I've always loved that logo with the light lightning up, eviscerating the tree. Yeah. I also I, I did Google and figured out who I thought was Ed Harris. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> Dude, come on. So, I mean, I, I, I guess they look similar. I don't know. That. Maybe that's why he looked familiar, because I just Googled him <laughs> before that. Vigo Mortensen and Ed Harris are in a movie together called A History of Violence that came out in 2005. Oh, I don't know Ed Harris was in that. So that would have been. That would have been really confusing for you. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was so weird that they were in this movie about identical twins, about clones. <laughs> um, by the way, one other guy, uh, one other guy, too. Um, Matt Bevilacqua from The Sopranos is also in this movie. His name's Lilo Brancato. Oh, OK. You see oh, him? yes, 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 yes. OK. I also there is one guy who. Maybe that's who I was. Oh, that's who that was. I thought that was the actor that played Jackie Jr. And then I was like, wait, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was oh, Lilo Brancato, who also was in A Bronx Tale. And um, I actually, he, there's like a small documentary made about him and like his career, too. Do you do you like know what he did? I'm I'm on his Wikipedia right now. Um, he was arrested for the murder of a police officer in 2005. Um, the documentary covered it. I don't remember um, so now I'm just scanning the Wikipedia, too. Yes, I don't remember the details of his involvement in it or something, but now he's back and acting again, I believe. Yeah, he wasn't convicted of murder. He was convicted of, like, robbery. Basically, mm-hmm. he, he yeah. I think he killed a cop during a botched robbery or burglary. Huh. Truly some parole in 2013, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I thought that was the actor that played Jackie Jr. until I got to the end credits, and I was like, oh, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense, because that, that actor would be like a, a teenager when this movie came out. In 1995, uh, let me do a little groundwork before we go any further. In 1990, The Hunt for Red October came out, uh, which is a very, very famous Jack Ryan adaptation. Uh, it is a very famous submarine movie. In 1995, Crimson Tide came out, another famous submarine-based military movie. They even have very similar posters, like all red cues on the actors, basically. And the the crux of it is, you know, it, it's... It was like a lot of movies at this time where we were out of the Cold War, but we weren't quite done with Russia yet. 
So it's kind of stoking the idea of like, oh, what if Cold World War come back? Question mark. There's this radicalist in Russia who is going to possibly have access to nuclear codes and the USS Alabama submarine, uh, which is, of course, is why the movie's called Crimson Tide. Uh, I wonder if it's a chicken and the egg situation. And this, this might be a thing lost on you. I don't know why I'm bringing this up with you, but Alabama, mm-hmm. the Crimson Tide football team, are they named for this movie or is just is that what Alabama's always been known as? I would assume that they were not named for this movie for for <laughs> the 1995 Crimson Tide movie. Should have done a little more research on that, but that was you keep that... talking. I'll look it up. OK, so Denzel Washington is the lead. He plays Lieutenant Commander Ron Hunter, uh, who they keep calling the EXO. He's the executive officer. Uh, and he basically is working with most of this crew for the first time. He's working under Captain Frank Ramsey, who's played by Gene Hackman, uh, who is the commanding officer of the shift of the uh, of the submarine. And they have to basically go out somewhere in the Pacific and be ready to launch mich- missiles at Russia or at the rebel forces in Russia. And basically, they're just on standby to see if they have to be the ones to push the button and start nuclear war. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure. And the movie is basically the crux of it. The best parts of it come from disagreements and opinion among leadership, because Denzel Washington's style of leadership and his, you know, skill set is very different than Gene Hackman's skill set, because Gene Hackman has been around since you know, probably World War II or Korea or even Vietnam. He, he probably has taken part in some way in conflicts for decades. And he has kind of a whatever it takes. No, you know, there's no interpretations beyond the book. If we are told to if our last order is to says send out the nukes, we're going to send out the nukes. And a situation comes into play where there is ambiguity with whether they need to actually execute the orders and start basically a nuclear holocaust. And that creates kind of like a civil war aboard the submarine. It's a really fascinating pivot for a movie that I thought was going to be very America versus Russia, like Mm -hmm. a lot of things are at the time. It ends up being America versus America. Yeah. Um, it, there's a little bit more of a brain to this than I thought there was going to be, despite it, it is a very over-the-top directed movie, but it also is a really effective one, I found. Um, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I, I don't know what your thoughts were on it. it. Obviously, it sounds like this is not your cup of tea like You've Got Mail was. Yeah, no, I... Because I, You've Got Mail is also like not what I am choosing to watch, but it's just something I... Like for what it was basically what you said, I went into it not expecting it to be um, kind of so well plotted. I kind of have probably an unfair judgment of action movies is just like there's not going to be a lot of plot to them. And this one was kind of very thought out and just created like a, a pretty cool, just like moral quandary. And I liked that a lot about it. But what I also liked about it was that it really did not go over the top in pushing that quandary you know there's a lesson driven home in the end and stuff like that but it felt like a really good plot complication and it didn't feel um overly righteous and i have a feeling if it was made now it probably would have been you know well even by like if you at the time by a different filmmaker it would have been yeah sorkin wrote it oh yeah (laughs) yeah it would have been it would have been (laughs) it's funny because the in the planning of this movie 
they originally were consulting with the U.S. Navy. Uh, and this was back when they thought it was going to be a Russia versus U.S. movie. And then Michael, Michael Schieffer, who is the screenwriter, and Tony Scott, they kind of changed the focus of the movie and they lost the support of the military. So basically they had to film it with the sanction and the help of the French military instead. But you, you can see that reluctance to, you know, a movie that basically condemns certain thought processes within how we handle things through the chain of command. And I think the movie is very smart because it doesn't necessarily, you know, you're supposed to be behind Denzel's character, but you don't necessarily disagree with Gene Hackman's character because you understand why he would feel the way he feels. And there's nuance there where I didn't think there was going to be in the first half of the movie. Because like when we when we meet Gene Hackman's character, he's listening to classical music. He's chomping on cigars. He's talking about like they're having he's like trying to he talked to he makes this like very crude analogy in the first meeting where he compares horses to high school girls. And it's like, uh, you're one of these guys, huh? But then there's like a depth to the characters that develops as the movie goes along. Um, specifically those two, because some of the supporting cast kind of like gets left by the wayside. They're just there to execute their roles in the story. But the central push pull between these two terrific actors, both giving great performances is the core of the movie, and it really, really works. I, uh, it, as much as it's an action movie, it's kind of just about these two guys and their, just th their conflict and their kind of standoff. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody kind of stuck in the middle of that. I, so this, this has the, like, added oomph of these two great actors, but it, uh, make no mistake, it's kind of, it is kind of a pea-brained action movie at its core, which is, which is fine. I'm always in the mood for that if it's well done. You know what I mean? Like that's that's very much up my alley. Uh, there's a lot of craft behind it. Uh, Scott's cinematography is very. I wouldn't say unique, but it is like very it, it matches really well the style he's going for, like the way that they capture different angles. So it feels like that the sub is never on a horizontal plane. You know what I mean? There, there mm -hmm. are times where it looks like they're literally walking straight up at a diagonal just based on where the sub is in the water. Yeah. How the camera slides up and down different levels of the sub establishes the space and just like the extreme close ups to add to the temp to the tension of what's going on, too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like a, a sucker for movies that take place in, you know, one location and like bottle episodes of TV shows. I mean, a sub is a big setting, physically speaking, but it's still it's it's a challenge to not make that feel like old halfway through the movie that you're in this one setting. And I think he does a really good job of that. Yeah. Well, I like how we see the circumstances of the ship or the sub, like when things are not popping off, mm -hmm. like there's still a little bit of tension, but when, when they're allowed to just be casual and kind of hang out for a little bit, I, I think it's very smart of them to establish the rules of the missile launch test early on so that we don't have to like kind of as an audience member be like, what's going on? when shit is hitting the fan, you know, they, they established that very early on. And I also think it was very smart to do as much as you can to set up the ideologies of these characters, like Viggo Mortensen's character, who is like the head of weapons defense. And he's very good friends with Denzel Washington, but he also has a respect for Gene Hackman that will, that kind of makes him the most important character in the movie in a way, because he's kind of stuck between these two guys. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Like, what did you think of Vigo's performance here, especially since a lot of what the reason we're talking about this movie is because of him? 
Um, I thought I thought Ed Harris's performance was great. Um, no, I thought he was really good and really intense. Uh, um, I mean, not really intense, but does a nice job of, of intensity. That's Eagle Mortensen for you, I guess. I more so was struck by just kind of Hackman's character. And maybe it's just because that's, you know, I'm projecting all the past roles that I've seen him in onto that. But I just thought he was like the right fit for the kind of guy that he was. Um this kind of just like traditionalist and tough but stoic guy, if that makes sense. You know, it's we have not seen a Gene Hackman performance in 20 years at this point. He's been retired for 20 years. What was his last? I feel like the last thing I saw with him was Enemy of the State. Actually, you know what? 2004 was his last movie. Enemy of the State was in the 90s. It was after this, but he, oh, he did Royal Tenenbaums uh -huh. after that, which is like oh. his last great thing. Uh, you know what his last movie was without yep, looking it I, up? Okay. I, I know it. I, I'm glad you're getting there. I'll let you introduce it because it seems way more like up your alley. If I will. Oh, my God. I would love to cover this movie. I think I've never seen it, but it is a very popular like it was it was the DVD cover in Hollywood video. I remember before I even say what it is, I'll say I don't think I've seen it in full. Maybe I did. I do know the opening scene was like a guy jogging naked through the streets of a small town i want to say i could be wrong uh welcome to mooseport starring ray romano. ray romano and gene hackman his final role it made him quit the business altogether i mean he is 90 that... he is 90 he's 91 <laughs> now turns 92 you know uh, uh, very soon yeah him and uh jack nicholson same same thing it's like uh I think they uh kind of unofficially retired yeah jack nicholson did that terrible james l brooks movie how do you know and dipped after that the welcome to mooseport of his career <laughs> <laughs> the irish exit of of filmographies <laughs> going, going out on a really subtle note i unlike, would not be shocked unlike, unlike daniel day lewis who was like my last role is gonna be seven years from now or whatever these guys just like did a movie that you're like that's not gonna be their last note yeah, and then they just disappear. Yeah, it's like at a party, you're like, that guy was just talking to me about the dip. He's going to say goodbye. He's my best friend. He's going to say goodbye before he leaves my party. And then <laughs> he doesn't. I, I, I would be stunned <laughs> if the chain doesn't take us to Welcome to Mooseport. Or I, I how do you know is just a bad movie. It, it's really bad. But I we're definitely going to review Welcome to Mooseport at some point. I it's think there's inevitable. another podcast in final in weird final film roles. Hackman now is the oldest living and earliest surviving best actor Oscar winner after Sidney Poitier's wow. death. Ninety one years old. Somebody check up old? on him. Um, there was a um, a line I really liked in the movie that I wrote down, um, which was Gene Hackman's character, I believe, um, you know, when they're fighting over the various mutinies and mutinies and mutinies saying um we're here to preserve democracy not practice it uh which i thought was just a really cool and just concise line you know it doesn't again the movie doesn't do too much thinking on it you know at the end of the movie they talk about yeah kind of what the outcome should have been or whatever but but that's not what this movie is supposed to deliver it's an action movie but i, I like that line that line apparently is used Robert Mueller, in his mm -hmm. years as FBI director, often quoted that line uh, in his meeting with senior leadership, which I would be like, why are we quoting a Tony Scott meeting? I love the fact that, because in my head, I'm like, okay, Mueller is 
like the number one Crimson Tide fan. Like he, Absolutely. I think you go into his house and he has like two movie posters up. One of them is Crimson Tide. And I don't know what the other one would be, but it would certainly be something. It's something that is not over. It's just like militaristic <laughs> and patriotic a, in, in, a, in a kind of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Team Team America World Police. Yeah, something like, <laughs> you know, he's not Mueller's not going to look. He's not going to like a Scarface. He's not going to like something with glamorization of crime. He's also yeah. not going to like um, like a Sorkin movie that's trying to be more, you know, that's trying to really push a message across. He he's he's a Crimson Tide guy. Maybe looking at Gene Hackman's filmography, maybe he's a Get Shorty guy. <laughs> oh, God, I don't think that's on the wall, though. I think that's like uh, Friday night wife's out gonna put up my feet have some nachos and watch get shorty <laughs> you're right i i do wonder what robert Mueller's favorite comedy movie is but that's for another podcast it's definitely like it's like um, it's a mel brooks movie but it's like not one of the best ones you know i don't know that that line is very impactful uh um robert Mueller's favorite line yeah i i pinpointed that one and i also pinpointed a conversation early in the movie where the movie starts to show that it's more than just like a I was expecting kind of like a Michael Bay-esque action movie because his movies are just all empty cliches and platitudes and they're they're they can be exhilarating action movies but they get they get caught up in just obnoxious dialogue and stuff like that. This there's a scene where all of the main cast members are sitting and just lounging inside the sub and Gene Hackman and Denzel are talking about their difference in philosophies and Denzel basically says that, like, the enemy is not the Russians, the Japanese, the Chinese, whoever, whoever the enemy is on the other side. The enemy is war itself. And that just kind of goes to how his thinking on war is different than Gene Hackman's, which is like, I don't care who's on the other side. I have been trained to blow them away. Whereas that's not how we look at conflicts anymore. Things have nuance now. And that was the first scene where I was like, this movie's got a little bit more juice to it than I expected, because up to that point, like I said, Gene Hackman was just like this caricature of like a George George Patton esque general, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, he he gives this speech to to his men where he's like, if you disobey me, the, the thing you'll be feeling where the sun don't shine is my boot up your ass and like mm -hmm. rolls like that. And then like they're looking outside at the sunset before the sub submerges, and he's like, bravo, lieutenant, you knew. You passed the test. You knew to shut up and enjoy the view. And then they're talking about smoking cigars. And I'm like, oh, my oh brother. Like, <laughs> I, I can take a little bit of this. But when it's too much and it's not even like comedically funny, it's it's just it just goes on. But then from that moment on, it's a good balance. You know what I mean? And the tension is ratcheted up in that sequence, too. The, that line really struck me as well. The the enemy being war. Uh, and you saying that reminds me that uh, something I liked about this movie that I, I uh, and I wonder if you read into it the same way when Denzel would make some of these points to Hackman. There were certainly times where Hackman, you know, judged him and ultimately he thinks he knows better than Denzel. Thinks Denzel is green. Um, he's more jaded. But I think there were times where you could also see in Gene Hackman's performance that Denzel got to him. Like, I think that war line, when he said that the war, you know, the war is the enemy. When I looked at Gene Hackman's face, when they showed that, it showed, it read to me like he was 
he knew he was outsmarted a bit. I don't know if you felt the same way. And and there's a very, 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 for the most part, subtle aspect of it, which the movie very smartly touches on at one scene and then like never brings it up again. There's there's there are racial undertones here. There are. It's like it, he's this white general who's been working for decades and he now has threat from a, another commanding officer who questions his authority, who just happens to be black. You know, there's a conversation very late in the movie where they talk about a certain like breed of horse or something like that. I'm trying to find my notes on it, but they, yeah, like an Arabian you know, horse and an old. Yeah. Page. And they talk about like they're, they're, they're black, they're beautiful horses. They grow up white, but then they're at, at birth, they're born black basically. And that that's very that was very pointed to me because there was something oh, in, wow. in the back of my head. It, it all plays into what you were saying, where it's like there is the intimidation and the challenge of having somebody question authority and question the chain of command. He's like, don't don't disrespect me in front of the men. But if but Denzel feels differently, he like questioning everything through the whole movie. And it just all eventually blows up when they get that half message. Um, it is really good stuff. Uh, I don't think the movie is by any means perfect. I don't think the movie is great. It's probably like a three and a half out of five for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I I enjoyed it pretty significantly. Again, like I don't watch a lot of action movies. And so like, I don't know what my expectation is. I, I think I could really only distill down my limited knowledge of action movies to like a three rating system of like, or, or, or kind of just like a scale of like two action filled two two over the top and or whatever. And then this thing that kind of like meets in the middle. I assumed like maybe it's a four star movie. If this is what I'm, you know, if I kind of spoke this language or whatever, I kind of my, my first thought was to say three and a half as well. But that's also seems to be my go to these days for so many movies. So that's fine. I mean, a lot of movies aren't. That's one thing that like film criticism needs to like get away from or like just film discourse in general. Not everything is two out of ten and not everything is nine out of ten. You know, like most movies are sixes to seven and a halfs. I think I have a problem forgetting that the middle is five out of ten. Like it almost seems too harsh for me, but that's a fair rating or something. Um, but I do find myself mostly giving and maybe that speaks to I think that speaks to just my we've talked about this before. Kind of um, I think there's a, a little bit of a shared mentality of like going into a movie with some level of optimism or of like they made a movie. Yeah. And that always kicks it up a little bit <laughs> like the rating up for me. My philosophy is I never give anything below one out of ten because you get one point automatically for making a movie like congratulations. Yeah, if, you could, if you could get what, 250 points for writing your name on the SATs. Exactly. And I, I don't even mean that with this movie. Like, I think this was certainly better than, oh, they made a movie. I'm like straddling three and a half to four, I, I suppose. If I, I'm I think a good, a good way terms. that I distill it is I try to translate it into like letter grades the way I do mm -hmm. it is like 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 six and a half to seven and a half. I'll give you the whole breakdown off mic, but we're in like the B grade range, which I think is more than fair for this because there's like, you know, they're like the the second half is significantly stronger than the first. Um, and we'll go specifically into why in a bit. Um, but like the first half is a lot of exposition dump and a lot of clunky dialogue. There's some weird stuff like he has. He clearly has this connection to like his family. And then he never mentions his family again after the last 10 minutes. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, 
there were a lot of like weird things in the first few mo- like m- like minutes like there's this weird like rocky montage sequence where he is just like going at it like boxing with some like underling and i'm like the, okay this is the alpha part of this where we're trying to build up the masculinity of these two like alphas and it's like this is the best way we could have represented this like a lot of stuff like that was building up in the first 45 minutes for me that completely goes away once the conflict gets really real you know Mm -hmm. let's well let's just talk let's just talk about like the the plot in general now we'll go like more specific into what happens in the second half because we have talked about it but we haven't like dove deep Uh subs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> surprise we it's probably it took us as long to recognize that oh, that's staying in um <laughs> i um yeah let's talk about the plot i'll actually have one super important thing to say before we get into the plot i think this is so important um the the I'm, was he the russian president who's on the tv at the beginning or the um you know the whatever whoever the emissary was the Russian yeah, not, leader, not the rebel, but the leader, right? So, yes. so it's Cl- they show Clinton and they show I don't, I don't even know, I forget his name, uh, but it was Vladimir the most Russian Radchenko. name. I've, Vladimir yeah. Radchenko. Um, and I was wondering if it was supposed to be like Vladimir Putin at the time because I had not registered the last name that they were saying. Um, so no, wait, no, Radchenko is the the. Are you talking about the rebel guy? They show like the actual, like president of Russia, and then they show the rebel guy. Are you talking? You're just, right. Just for I'm, my I'm own. talking about the president. You're talking about the president. OK, yes. I don't know his name. It's some really I don't know yeah. if it was the actual president at the time, but it was a very Russian name. George Costanza's boss. That's George yeah. Costanza's boss. Oh, I thought there was more to it than nope. that. <laughs> the, the Russian president in the movie who was shown on the TV is the guy who like George Costanza works for and tries to, you know, Photoshop himself out of the photo out of the beach photo. The guy who is so not serious. Yeah. And that yeah. was mind blowing to me. That uh, verbal meme, you watching it, Leonardo DiCaprio and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood holding the the beer and pointing at the screen. Yeah. Sorry. I hope I didn't make you feel bad by elevating the discourse to that level. But George Costanza's. I don't even know what that does. Is, uh, like, movie. what does that do for me? <laughs> you know, like what does it do? The, um, it shows you the range that that man has. The, the, in, the information flow is stunning sometimes where it's just like now we have to go back to a serious conversation but i'm gonna be thinking about that for the entire review we're talking like the, the, we're talking about we're talking nope vladimir redchenko russian ultra nationalist leader is played by daniel von bargen character actor also known as mr kruger on seinfeld also so you are talking about the rebel then. apparently You're, i am yeah yes this shows you how bad my comprehension is of uh character names and things like that I think I think whoever they showed was the actual president of Russia at the time. Like the person I'm talking about. OK, well, this shouldn't surprise you that I, I got the character wrong because we've watched two different Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies in this podcast so far. And in both episodes, I've continued to only call them Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. That's fine. Uh, character names are not important. I, I like character names and quotes are like two big blind spots for me when it comes to movie trivia. Fun fact. So George Costanza's boss <laughs> possibly has has nuclear codes. Uh, they are I thought I thought it was really interesting that the way that they, you know, conveyed the flow of information like without a radio, they're completely blind and they are possibly the most dangerous people in the world. Um, 
And the fact that like the fact that they the way that they made it ambiguous where they get half of a message with a like confirmation of possibly launching the nukes um, right after they get attacked by. Uh, ostensibly another Russian sub. Um, so it's like this could the, the threat is credible to Gene Hackman's credit, but it is not confirmed. And there is a lot on the line the, the like the the push pull between the two of them. And the rotating mutinies, I thought that that played out really well. And they have this ticking clock of the Russians will be armed. If they do have the nuclear codes, they will be armed within an hour. So you have everything has to happen within an hour. And then there's another ticking clock within it where Viggo Mortensen is counting down when they're going to be able to launch their own nukes. So that's two ticking clocks moving at the same time. And it really adds to the stress of the last 35, 40 minutes of the movie. And I, and I really like how the clock plays a role in the decisions that are made slash like adds to the pressure that Denzel is feeling and the pressure that Gene Hackman is feeling specifically in Denzel having to make really tough calls. Um, this actually transitions well to Steve Zahn, who is the whole reason we're reviewing this in the first place. His link to Viggo Mortensen is this movie. His contribution to the film is that he plays Seaman William Barnes, who is one of the only casualties of the film. He drowns like pretty horrifically. Right. Is he the one that gets hit in the head with the thing and his face starts bleeding? I think I, I think so. I believe so. Right. Well, so so they get they get kind of they get clipped by a torpedo and there's a massive leak that they have to try to contain and they basically fail to contain. And Denzel has to make the decision to close like tell them to close the hatch and basically leave those guys to drown. Um, something that bothered me is that I feel like they really didn't mourn those characters at any mm -hmm. point. Yeah, um, I, you could I think you could say the same for uh, the guy who was lost in the in the, the fire at the beginning of the galley. Well, they have like they at least have say that there's going to be a memorial for him. But yes, you're, you're correct. In, in fact, they're kind of like he died because he was fat. <laughs> that's that they gene hackman directly says that like wow he's trying to make denzel feel better but still i think i i really like the position that the movie puts hackman in of he is locked in his room now he can't leave because denzel has has had him sequestered and arrested and he doesn't really know what is going on with the ship and so not only is his does he have to like sit there powerless knowing that the command the command is doing the opposite of what he wants the way he wants to lead the ship but he literally is like feeling or submarine i mean he's literally feeling it move and kind of feeling that everything going wrong without having full knowledge of what's going on and that yeah. like i mean i i it kind of makes me want to watch like a full you know bottle episode kind of installment of this or a play or something that is just him in that position and just like like a completely different like an internal again deep dive kind of he's also him. he's remarkably calm because he knows that he has loyalty within members of the ship which i keep saying ship it really is sub whatever who cares they both go you know in i'm just water. gonna go and say it right now we're not military experts on no. the pod and i'm sick of pretending we are what would you do if you got drafted? <laughs> uh, I've been thinking about this uh, vaguely a little bit because I've been reading a lot of celebrity memoirs recently that all mention like the draft and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, I forgot that was a thing and a part of life. Um, if I got drafted, um, I wouldn't worry about how I'm going to do at war because I would have a heart attack out of fear on the boat over. <laughs> the second I go to boot camp and they take away my Doritos, I would be like, that's it. I'm done. I'm switching sides. You're the, you're the guy that they show in the background of Saving Private Ryan who jumps out of the boat before they reach Normandy. I want 100% be Benedict Arnold if the other side offered me a little more luxury. I'm here's just going to say it. Here's a $25 gift card to Olive Garden. Will yeah. you betray everything that your country holds dear or will we have to start shooting? Yeah. But so people that are better soldiers than us have loyalty to Gene Hackman's character. And this is kind of where we finally get a little bit of characterization for James Gandolfini's character. He plays Bobby Doherty, who we meet a little bit and doesn't seem like the nicest guy in the world. He's kind of a hard ass towards like one of the underlings makes. I kind of like the in a, in a sense that just what it sets up and that just it's, it's a nice little reminder of just like the 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 military decorum that is supposed to be kept all the time. Right. Um, this is a scene where he, he basically tricks the guy and. Uh, an underling into speaking to him casually and then yells at him for speaking to him casually. Yeah, about something really mundane that they had just been talking about with like his his comrades, basically. Yeah, it's, I also like that it's just Gand non Tony Gandolfini yelling. Mm -hmm. Fun to see, but he was a frequent collaborator with uh, Tony Scott before he died. Um, worked on he was really good in true. Have you ever seen True Romance? With uh, Christian Slater's in it. And no. It's that's a that's a really good one. I hope we review that at some point. That's Tony Scott's best movie. In my I opinion. was not even aware Gandolfini did other Tony Scott stuff. Yeah, he was in that. He was in the Taking a Pelham one, two, three remake with Denzel and John Travolta. What? I do not remember him in that. Wow. something something I was reminded of reading up on Gandolfini and maybe we'll reach him one day. But uh, he was the uh, he was a voice of where the wild things are. Completely forgot about that. Um, anyway, he's he's the most notable of the mutant the I, they're not really mutineers they're the unmutineers if that makes sense you know they're trying to reverse the mutiny as as gene hackman and sits with his little puppy they're trying to make the mutiny moot yeah they're the mutiny where <laughs> this is this sorry if this was a seinfeld episode that's what that jesus was. christ <laughs> that was good that was very good the mutiny I'm just the, I, tell me this doesn't exist in the world of Seinfeld. We got Mr. Kruger. Absolutely. That that's an that's the official term for this. Side <laughs> note: since we're since we're talking about the dog, where does the dog like re relieve itself on the sub? You know, like these are just terrible conditions for a, a dog to be there. They're going to be out there for six months. Well, where where would the people relieve themselves? They would do it in the same place. Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think of that. Where is the bathroom in a sub? Um, Outside. <laughs> outside. Oh, look, I'm going to assume the dog will just go on the floor or in the bilge. Yeah. At a certain point, you run out of newspaper to put down for the dog, though. I think that's why in this movie, they they close the bilge and, and uh, don't mind losing that part of the ship. They're like, that's where the dog goes. That's <laughs> that's the dog's latroon. <laughs> so there's a lot of like little chess pieces moving around the board in that last act where Denzel knows that they're going to take the ship back. So, sub whatever keep these in please because i Duh, i yeah. need to be reprimanded for it um <laughs> they, they're gonna take control back so he gives the key to the entire submarine to somebody like one of the underlings that trusts him knowing that he can break him out later and meanwhile as this is going on matthew bell of lacqua 
Matthew from The Sopranos. I've never been able to pronounce that. The the cue throws me off. He he's trying to desperately put the radio back together so they can get transmission and figure it out. It's all these little pieces that build towards everybody pointing guns at each other. Finally, the transmission makes it through and they realize that Denzel was correct. He could have very easily been wrong. I think that would have been just as interesting of an ending. So, yeah, would have I, been way I, more nihilistic. I think that also kind of really speaks. I, I think that's kind of reflective of what I was getting at before, where I, the ending was that Denzel was right. But and maybe this is just me viewing things the way I want. I don't think the movie was saying, though, like, see, you should always hold back and not be too impulsive or something. I think the movie could have worked just as well if it were not if if the message was not a attraction. Yeah, I don't know if you agree. No, I, I, I do. I, I completely I completely agree. I think I don't think it would have gone for the tone that they were trying to get across because Tony Scott for as much as he's questioning certain military tactics, this is still a pro-military movie, very much. Because at the end, the the like the military officer with even more experience than Gene Hackman gives like this big stirring speech of, "You've made us question what we've done here. You both were wrong. You both need to work together for the burr to burr of the United States." You know, like <laughs> it's right. It, it's it wouldn't have worked in the context of what they were trying to do a more nihilistic movie like like a sort like you're saying like if sorkin wrote this and it ended like that would have probably made sense or hit hit the tone it was going for you know um i am just i whenever we make a reference to if sorkin wrote this i just like i get really tired (laughs) your brain your brain breaks that's that's another thing i'm just i'm just like oh god i don't want to watch that movie yeah i'm i'm all right i i love aaron sorkin but i don't need this this movie this movie is super well paced like very 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 succinctly paced it's only it's under two hours it's an hour and 56 minutes a sorkin version of this or a version (laughs) of this that exists from michael bay or anybody else who is not like a master like this who who is more even more excessive than Tony Scott, which is saying something. This is a two and a half hour movie with double the amount of speeches and double the amount of close ups and way more violence. And yeah. Plus, how much walk and talk could you do on a sub? <laughs> <laughs> they start at one end of the hall and then turn around and go right back. The camera's just static at there the were, end. They walk there, towards the camera and turn around. There would 100 percent. I promise you, if you wrote Sorkin wrote this movie, there would be a conversation about where the dog goes to the bathroom. That, that, absolutely I, I swear uh, <laughs> are you are you calling me a sorkin-esque genius <laughs> yeah i am thank you that, that was very nice of you whether it's a compliment or not is for for us to argue about later yeah um depends on what the last movie you watched of his is i i think i think we've done enough with the specifics let's just kind of talk about what we want to talk about a couple two i have two notes about the production of this one han zimmer did the score it's a very good score the, the music is really strong and it is very, 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 it sounds like a warm up to his Pirates of the Caribbean score, which is fitting considering they're both out at sea, these movies. And then also, I think you probably read the same Wikipedia notes as me, uh, but Quentin Tarantino did punch ups on this movie. Yes, I read the, the same thing that you did about that, that he uh, mostly seemingly put in like the pop culture related dialogue is what they said. I tried to look a little more into uh, what you know, he added to it. Um, the only thing I found was this timeline that I thought was a little interesting, just thinking in terms of what Tarantino was up to at this point in his life. 
among many other things he was like making cameos in and stuff like that. Um, at this point in 94, when he when he was punching up the script, he did additional writing uncredited on Crimson Tide. And then he did additional writing uncredited on another movie. Um, and it's funny to, to think about them together. It's Pat, the, oh SNL, the SNL movie about the Pat character. Um, again, Tarantino did some dialogue work on that movie. And to just place those side by side, Crimson Tide, $53 million budget, made $157 million at the box office. It's Pat, an $8 million budget. <laughs> it made $60,000 at the box office. So uh, I just look, I just love a, a, a writer who's really expanding genre. <laughs> Just a stunning stray shot at its pad, which is fine. It, it's that is that's like when every time I hear that M. Night Shyamalan wrote Stuart Little, same concept. Yeah, but or, he just um, like M. Night Shyamalan just wrote Stuart Little. He didn't punch it up. Um, that's I I have not the, at the risk of derailing us too far. I have one of those two that I uh, Gone Fishing written by J.J. Abrams. Oh, my God. Well, God what is with this movie Gone Fishing? <laughs> Is that the that's the one with Danny Glover and Danny Pesci, Glover right? and Joe Pesci? Oh my and god! Just, my, you know, my friends in Albany were obsessed with that movie too. Really? I, I am Wait, shocked really? that yes, that's I, we taught. We used to. I used to work the night shift in Albany, and we would like in commercial breaks. I would take my like headset and put it up to the computer and like play audio from scenes from Gone Fishing. I actually, I'm very mind blown. I assume that your exasperation with it was was just from me mentioning it all these years. No, but <laughs> no, because it's like because you and I have never talked about it somehow. I guess not. Well, I think we talked about it in the context of seeing the article about Joe Pesci's house being for sale. He has a giant poster of Gone Fishing in his living room. I'm like bigger than the Goodfellas one. Um, all right, but we have to get back on track here. We do have to get back on track. <laughs> we I, we are we are seven seven steps away from the main point of the movie. I just I think I hope at some point we do cover Gone Fishing because it's <laughs> it's a beloved movie in my life. I, I I've never seen it, but I know enough about it that I am bracing for impact. Uh, Tarantino, <laughs> by the way, I I kind of touted True Romance as Tony Scott's best movie. Tarantino fully wrote that, by the way. So written ah. by Tarantino, directed by Tony Scott. I, I the, the two things that Tarantino did in this Crimson Tide, this movie that stood out to me. One, there's references to there's a fight in the in the mess hall and Denzel asked them what they were fighting about. And they talked about different timelines of the Silver Surfer, um, which is a very popular comic character. Yeah. So I'm like, they didn't come up with that originally. And then, of course, there's a lot of references to Star Trek in the second half of the movie. Which is fitting because Tarantino has been circling and rumored to be doing his own Star Trek movie for like three or four years now. So obviously it makes sense that he's a fan. Yeah. And I loved the Silver Surfer remark at the end, too, where um, I forget who it was. But one of the commanding officers is, you know, at first reprimanding somebody for getting into a fight about something like that. And then he he kind of makes a little bit of a flip and joke about it. And it's like everybody knows. Yeah. I also. um liked um i should mention this when we were talking about the beginning of the movie just a classic action movie setup of title card that says the three in 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 that like cyber computer like 90 late 90s font the three most powerful men in the world the president of the united states the president of the russian republic and dot 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 the captain of a u.s nuclear missile submarine yeah that was effective 
I, I will say that I didn't really care for like the, the CNN reporter exposition because there was something that really bothered me <clears throat> working in news. I don't I know he's trying to get a dramatic backdrop, but he would not do his stand up right in front of the loudest fighter jets in the world. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I can't hear him and they can mix the sound. Yeah. This movie, by the way, <laughs> nominated for Oscars for film editing, sound editing, sound mixing. And they mixed it to hell so we could hear that reporter. Uh, the <laughs> same idea. You do the stand up, but the but the fighter jets aren't taking off. Same yeah. thing. <laughs> Also, the exposition of him seeing the report of CNN, like at volume like 72, playing in the background of like a kid's birthday party. Like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to a kid's birthday party, Nick, because you're uh, whether you're allowed um, to or not. Yeah, but, I still frequent them. Yes, unfortunately. It's, my age. it's, it's more my my we have, we have similar interests still, you know, uh, similar palates, food palates yeah. as well. <laughs> um, But. You, the the kids control the TV. The, CNN is not on in the background. Of, yeah, you know it's Coco Melon right now, not CNN. <laughs> it's not and it's not Anderson Cooper. It's uh. Did you have like a Peppa Fellini Pink. birthday party or something? I feel like your birthday party was. No. Do you have a Jerry Bruckheimer themed birthday party? I I I saw. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what movies I saw for my birthday party. Um, we saw. Mine were all the Harry Potters, but off the top of my hand, we saw. Well, I did make my friends see movies that they would never would have seen. We watched we saw Secondhand Lions in theaters when I was eight years old with Robert Duvall and Michael Caine and Haley Joe Osment because it was the only PG movie out at the time. So we saw that. Kids we love kids love that Duvall. <laughs> I didn't know who Eddie. I was really excited, really disappointed by that movie as a kid because there were not nearly enough lion action in that movie. Like not nearly enough. It's it's about like their regrets of life and stuff. It's a big flashback movie and the lions themselves are in the movie for like 10 minutes. <laughs> anyway, we saw that. We saw Shark Tale when I was like 10 or 11. That was probably the most age appropriate one. And then <laughs> my last my last birthday party period was when I was like 12 or 13. I took a bunch of my friends to see The Guardian starring Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> <laughs> Fun birthday parties. Again, only only appropriate movie out at the time. I've had some good movies come out around my birthday since then. But yeah, did you ever have a movie birthday party? Yeah, uh, I did it for like a few years in a row. It was like the most talked about birthday party of the school year. And it was um, all the Harry Potter movies because my birthday's in December and that's all that was out in December. So I'd not read the books, but I saw like the first three or four Harry Potter movies and everybody knew I liked Legos. So they everybody got me Harry Potter Lego sets as a birthday gift. Because they assumed I also liked Harry Potter since I, we were renting out a theater to watch it. It's a pretty good assumption. Yeah, but that's look, that's uh, that's where I'm at. I think if Crimson Tide came out, that would have been the movie I would have dr dragged my friends to go see. Is that you trying to get us back on track? Absolutely, <laughs> it is. Good enough. Whatever. I only really I only think I only have really one more note, and that has to do with our guy Vigo. Um, Let's he's hear got it. A big, he's got a butt chin. You ever noticed? He had a big. <laughs> Big, big butt chin in this one. I didn't I don't know if I've really I noticed not. it. It's so pronounced. I did not notice that. I thought I was looking at Ed Harris in this movie, as we said. <laughs> yeah. Look, look, look up a picture of him in this movie while I bring up one more um, point. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, this movie could not have gotten by without playing Sweet Home Alabama somewhere. So I'm glad that they did it. <laughs> oh, subtly my God, I'm in the sorry. I'm, look, I'm looking at his chin. <laughs> it's isn't it defined? It's, so it's like bad. Yeah, it's crimson chin level. It's it's like. 
a caricature of a human butt. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. It's it, it's 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 he's got cake chin <laughs> like uh, and also one more note. Gene Hackman's hat very unintentionally evokes MAGA. Ooh, didn't think of that. Very true, though. A very, you know, yeah, complete like solid red, some kind of text on it, you know. Just something yeah. I noticed. You have anything else on Crimson Tide before we make our next drawing here on the chain? Nice to see. Nice to see James Gandolfini again. And I want to see more Bruckheimer classics like this come up. So that completes chain number two for us, which, of course, was You've Got Mail and Crimson Tide. And it is the fourth episode. So we've completed two full chains. We started at Diner with Kevin Bacon. We got to Meg Ryan and Sleep with Seattle. We started at Meg Ryan. You've got mail. We got to Viggo Mortensen with Crimson Tide. So we will start with Viggo Mortensen and I will randomly generate an actress that we will head towards to make our next chain. So what I'm going to do, Nick, is I'm going to make this website generate 10 actresses. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to have you pick a number from one to 10. Okay. So go ahead. I have the 10 actresses up on my screen here. Out of respect for George Costanza, who we talked about this episode, I'm going to say seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That is how you get there. Ellen Burstyn is our next actress. Ellen Burstyn? Do you know who that is? No, I'm thinking of Ellen Barkin. (laughs) I do. uh, Because she was in Diner. Yes. Ellen Burstyn, best known for her role recently. She was in Pieces of a Woman with Vanessa Kirby. Uh, which is a really good movie, uh, acted drama. And she also is best known for the Darren Aronofsky movie, Requiem for a Dream, which I really hope we don't get because I swore to myself I would never watch that movie again. So, Nick, you're going to generate the chain this time. Yes. All right. Viggo Mortensen. We're going from Viggo Mortensen to Ellen Burstyn. And the way we get there, again, it's a chain of two. We've seen a lot of two chains. Yeah. Uh, two chains. Two chains reference. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're getting there via Danny Glover. So do you have any idea? Do you know what the movies are if we're getting there via Danny Glover? Yeah, there's you only human a, encyclopedia. There, there are limited Viggo Mortensen movies, so it's probably something from early in his career. Is it, we are um, going with. It's, it's the one with Harrison Ford, right? Yeah, we are going with Witness as the first yeah. movie. Yeah. That's a really uh, great. That's a really good movie. Ugh, that's that's a good I, one. I'm I'm, glad to, yeah, I'm I have not seen it. That one. Witness, 1985. It's uh, Harrison Ford, uh, directed by a guy named Peter Weir. You know who he is? Yeah, he did the Truman Show. Did the Truman Show, Dead Poets Society. Oh, good track record. Okay, I feel bad yeah, for not knowing his name. Master, Master and Commander, Commander. Yep. Master of the World. Yeah, so Witness is the next movie that we will be watching, a neo-noir crime drama. And then to get from Danny Glover to our end result of the chain and uh, Ellen Burstyn, we're going to be watching a movie called About Scout. I have no idea what that is. 2015 dramedy. It honestly just I'm, I pulled up, you know, the Wikipedia for it. I'm looking at a nice like indie dramedy poster and I'm like, man, I haven't seen one of these in... <laughs> In years, I really like it. It's, it's yeah. a good... Nice little indie dramedy poster made in iPhoto collage. Nice. Yes. What is, what is this about? 15-year-old girl named Scout travels with a suicidal man to find her young little sister while avoiding child services. Parentheses, okay. Danny, Glo- Danny Glover. <laughs> not, as, um, not as light as I thought it would be. 
um, when I first heard about Scout, I thought it was like um, a kind of Marley and Me style movie. <laughs> you thought Scout this was works? like a dog. Thought this Scout dog. was like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> but this works too. So that's our chain. Next episode, Witness. And then after that, about Scout. Thanks for following along with us here on this chain. If you guys have any feedback for us, of course, we'll happy to hear it. You guys know we're, if you're listening to this, you can probably reach us. But also, <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a comment section of wherever we wherever you're listening to this, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever we are. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Oje, and the chain continues. <laughs>